If you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to look at it in just a second. I wanted to uh, take a moment just to thank everybody who donated to our garage sale for our mission trip. To those of you who came out and just said hello or bought somebody else's junk, thank you. Um, and uh, we did really well. We're, we earned about, a, for all the students and people that helped out with the garage sale, we earned $115 per, I think it was. So thank you for everybody who donated your stuff. And there's still a ton of stuff. If you want some free junk, let me know. I'll load up your trunk of your car. Just random stuff. You don't get to pick. I'll just load up your stuff, your trunk with random stuff, and you can bring it back for next year's garage sale. Uh, last week, um, as I was out of town for my daughter's graduation, Jen spoke, and she uh, talked about honoring mother and father, and she talked about weariness in life. For those of you who missed it, it was a great message. And um, a couple of things I want to remind you as we transition to from part of the the first part of the Ten Commandments to the second part of the Ten Commandments. First off, we're on the downhill slide. So those of you who are tired of hearing about this, no, you only have a few weeks left. And for those of you who are like, no, keep going, hey, we still have several weeks left. <laughs> All in your perspective. Um, and this is the longest series I've done. In five years as a lead pastor, I have never done a series that's going for 12 weeks. So, wow, I'm growing up, I guess. Don't we grow up so fast? But Jen covered honoring mother and father. And a couple notable things I want to make sure that I point out is, number one is, that's the first commandment that comes with a promise. And um, some of us, your, your mother, your father may no longer be living. But I believe in the principle of honor. I believe that we honor our leaders. I believe that we honor people in life. And the way we live our lives can honor people. And when we bring honor to people, there's a promise that goes with that. Yes, it's honoring your mother and father, but if you actually read the text, it, goes, it really goes into the whole concept, the whole idea of honor is those who are in authority over you, those who give you guidance, those who give you direction, those who encourage you, those are the people you're supposed to honor. And so I want to make sure that, just understand that it comes with a promise. And so in life, let's be a people that live a culture of honor, honoring one another. If your parents are still living, even if they weren't good parents, when I was going through counseling a few years ago, one of the things he said is, your kids are going to be messed up. Because I was like, I just don't want to mess up my kids. He goes, they're going to be messed up. They live in a broken world and everybody around them is sinful and they're sinful. But can you look at them and honestly say, I did the best I could that I knew how, that I understood by trying to follow God's principles? If you can say that, then yes, they're still going to need to see a counselor because they're still hurt. They live in a broken world. But are you doing your best? And so that's what I've tried to live by is I'm trying to do my best to show them who Jesus is because I am a failure. I am broken. I am going to mess up. But I've got a God who's perfect. So look at your parents when they weren't good and say they did the best they could. And as parents, let's do the best we can to show our children who God is. Point them to God, and we've done our job. The second thing I want you to know is, since we finished the first four commandments, and we're actually starting on number six today, is um, the first four commandments all relate to our duty to God. Um, you know, no other gods before him. Keep the Sabbath. All, all the first four are all about honoring God. The latter six are all about our relationship with humanity. The people on your left and your right, the people that you see every day, the people that you work with, 
your neighbors, your friends, those you like, those you don't, your spouse, your partner, those are all about the people that you're seeing every day. So from here on, it's about how we live in community, which if you know me at all, that is what makes me get up in the morning is how can I better live in community? How can I love people better today? I wish I could say I always succeeded. There's many times I don't, but I ask myself that question. There's literally days, usually it's on Monday because I, I spend a lot of time reading, and if you know me at all, I really enjoy reading, and it's that time where I have these hours to just kind of sit there and I ask myself, how am I going to love people better today? Usually I actually say, it. how am I going to love people better this week? Because I think in terms of weeks typically, and that's my day off, so I'm like, how am I going to love people this week? The next few weeks are really about, how am I going to love the people on my left and my right? How am I going to love people that are difficult to love? There's a shift as we move, and I want you to understand that shift, because that's key. If we want to be a people who impact our world and our community, it's like I said, I don't believe any one person changes the world, but what I do believe is that one person loves somebody, and if we continue to do that, we will gradually see the world change. And there's a subtle difference, but it puts the impetus on me as an individual, not on other people to get their act together. It's up to me as to whether or not I'm going to love and respect and build community with people. Because if I'm doing that, then people are going to want to know and understand more of that. And then the second thing as we shift is, um, this shows a lot of God's view of humanity. Some of you may have this image of God just waiting for you to screw up so that he can destroy you. And the Ten Commandments is about bringing down the wrath, but it's not. The Ten Commandments is about you learning to live in community because God loves your neighbor. God loves your spouse. God loves the guy at work who annoys you and comes up and says, you having a case of the Mondays? No, I never have and I don't want to see you again. God loves that guy. So now I need to learn too. And that's what this is about, is you living in community, and it shows God's view of humanity, is that we learn to love one another. We learn to get along. We learn to connect. I've known two murderers in my life, like known well, like grew up with, known well type of thing. My best friend in eighth grade shot and killed two different people. Not in eighth grade, it was... um, about 15 years ago, 12 years ago. So he was in his, you know, at the time he was in his mid-30s. And they were both race-related. And I look back and I think, that is not the person I knew growing up. But after that time, I began to write letters back and forth to him because I think one of the loneliest places to be in the world would be prison. Because A, you're never alone, and B, you're always alone because you can't learn to trust. And so I write letters to him sporadically. I actually have three prison pen pals or people that I write. And I don't understand why he did it. And the hardest part for me is he's sorry he did it, but there's not true remorse for his actions. And that's hard because that's not who I knew. The second person I knew that was a murderer was our custodian in San Diego at our church there. He served as our custodian for 19 years until he passed away just over a year ago. He had murdered two people also. He was very involved in 
drug life, gang life growing up. He grew up in East St. Louis, which is not a good area to grow up in. From the time he was 10 years old, he worked for organized crime. 10 years old, they would pay him with candy. They'd give him a dollar, and he'd go into the store, and he'd get betting slips in a paper bag, and he'd buy candy and a soda, and then he'd take it from one place to the next. When he got there, they'd give him money, and he'd go do it again. And he'd ride on his bike. He didn't even own a bike. They bought him a bike to do it. And when he was 18, he killed someone with his hands and went to jail and got out. And he'd been out for about two years. And the guy was looking to kill him. And they saw each other in a bar one night. And the guy actually shot at him first. And he grabbed his gun and shot back. And he actually went to jail because they ruled it self-defense, but he's a felon with a gun. So when he got out of jail the second time, he figured pretty much if I go back, my life's going to look exactly the same. So he went to the bus station and he said, when's the next bus leave? And they said, 20 minutes. He said, where's it going? San Diego. He said, I'll take one ticket. And he got on a bus and came to San Diego and he was homeless on the street and he walked into the Union Gospel Mission after about two years of being homeless on the street in San Diego just looking for a reprieve. And he ended up finding God and then he needed a job and um, they called our church and said, you got anything you could do? He has no skills other than he's really good. He's worked at the Union Gospel Mission and he's really good at being at like scrubbing floors and being a custodian. So he came and was our custodian for the next 19 years. It's not every church that has their custodian that lives in their parsonage, but he did because he was such a part of our family and he needed a place to live. And so he lived in the church parsonage and uh, took care of the grounds. And that was his life. Very different heart. Heart of repentance. And a heart of, he would talk about everything that he'd done wrong. And now he said, I just never knew that God could love me before, and I can't believe that God loves me now. He used to show up at four in the morning and walk the grounds to pray before he opened the building at five. For an hour, he'd just walk around and pray. Two different murderers, very different hearts. Exodus twenty thirteen. If you go with the King James Version, it says, Thou shalt not kill, but the New King James is, Thou shalt not murder. Ratzak, that's the Hebrew word. It's a verb, in case you didn't know it. And it really means to destroy or to slay or to break something into pieces. It was never used in the context of war throughout Scripture. When they talk about war, they don't use that word. When they talk about some other forms of killing, they don't use that word. They use the word ratzak strictly when it's an intentional and deliberate act to kill someone. If you accidentally killed someone in this time, they have what was called the city of refuge, and you could go to the city of refuge and wait for your trial. And the, the person who had been murdered, their family had the right to kill you to avenge the murder, unless you made it there. And if you got to the city of refuge first, then you got to wait 
until they could go and you could give an explanation before the priest. Our idea and our concept of murder is so different. Most of you in this room, I don't believe, are murderers. Um, I don't know all your stories, so maybe you are. You can sit down and tell me if you are. But there's reasons we're not supposed to kill. Some of you are like, really? Is this really worth hearing? And I say, yeah, because it shows that God loves humanity. We're instructed not to kill because humanity is created in the image of God. Genesis 4, 10 and 11 says this. And he said, what have you done? This is God speaking. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. People are created in the image of God. Thus, we need to learn to love people. The second thing is, murder severs relationships. Both people I know that were murderers had serious family tensions either before or after or both. It's really hard on families when you do this. The family of the person who's killed and the family of the killer. It severs relationships. It breaks what God desires, which is for us to connect because we cannot know God outside a community and now we've severed community. And God looks down and he doesn't want this, not just because he loves people, which he does, but also because he wants us to become well and adjusted and be full of life. Humanity matters to God. You matter to God. The person on your left and the person on your right all matter to God. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in the, well, I'm not killing anyone that we forget there's a reason behind it. So how does this affect me? The age-old question. Why should I care about this? Matthew 5, 21 and 22 tells us this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Raka just means it's an insult. It's empty-headed. You're an idiot. Why does it matter? Because people don't typically wake up one day and say, I'm going to go kill someone today. not saying it doesn't ever happen. But typically, those of us who have relationship with people that are healthy, that's not how we think. And it's a slow and casual descent into that place. But God looks down at you and he loves you and he sees a life that's worth having. And how many times with our words have we destroyed people? How many times, even under the guise of, I'm just speaking the truth to them, have we damaged people? And I'm not equating calling someone a name and murdering them is the same. And yet at the same time I'm saying, are we doing things that bring humanity and bring hope and bring something of this broken world to give them something for tomorrow? Am I a reflection of who God is in me and through me?
So it's my heart towards people and my attitude towards people is what's hard. Again, I don't think that this message is going to be the catalyst to you not murdering somebody. I think the fact that most of you were raised to know we don't kill people is the catalyst to you not murdering people. But I am trying to ask you, do you view humanity as having value? Do you view people as really being made in God's image? Because if we view people as being made in God's image, as we're instructed and called and encouraged to do, it's going to change how I view them. Not just whether or not I kill them, but whether or not I actually love them. So the questions I ask myself as I prepare this message is this. Are my words and my actions life-giving? Because I've called, been called to give life-giving words. Do I ca- passionately, and I mean genuinely, care for those who are hurting? Because I've been instructed to care for the hurting. And so it's easy for me to say, I'm okay because I haven't murdered anybody, so I don't really even need to worry about this one. But have I set other people up to know that there's hope and there's life? Because I don't want God to look at me and say, well, you didn't kill anybody, but you sure didn't bring life to anybody. Too many times when we look at the Ten Commandments, we get caught up in the legalism of this specific thing. It's the same thing with Sabbath. You know, when I said a couple weeks ago, you can really celebrate Sabbath any day you want. It's a principle And there are people who are adamant that it is this day only. And I go, okay. You're missing out on what God's really saying there, but if that's what you need. If you're going today, well, I've never killed anybody, so I'm good. But your words aren't bringing life. Your words aren't edifying. Your words aren't encouraging. And you're not helping humanity connect with one another. Then you are missing out on what the principle that God is trying to give us here is. We're supposed to kill? No, but it's more than that. We're not supposed to murder, but we're supposed to bring life. The opposite of the murder is that we bring life. So instead of thou shalt not murder, walk it out in your mind in this way. I will bring life. I will bring life. Can you say of yourself, this is my goal, this is my passion, and this is my hope, that this is how I'm defined? Because I will never be the guy who changed the world. I know that. But you know what? Can I be the guy who brought life? Can you be the person who brought life to those around you? I'm not the greatest preacher in the world. I know that. I've told you this is, to me, this is not even the important part of what we do here. The most important part of what we do on Sunday mornings is the 90 seconds in the middle where I tell you to greet each other and the before and after service time. Because that's when community is built, and that's when when you need something in your life, and you need prayer, those are the people that you'll pray with, the people that you sat and had a cup of coffee with. The people that you were in a small group with, the people that you built community with. I'm not a murderer, done some bad things, but I've never killed anyone. But have I brought life? Because if I've not, then I've violated that commandment.
And with all that's in me, I want to honor God by following what he's asked me to do. Father God, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for those in here who are life bringers. I thank you, Father God, for those who understand community and live that out. I thank you, God, for those who are passionate about building relationship, not because of what it gets them, but because of how it builds up the people around them. May we be a people who are known to bring life to every situation. God, for those who are in our church today that are sick, I pray for healing and wholeness for the ones I know about, for Nancy. Father God, I pray that you would just continue helping her in her recovery. Continue giving her strength. God, for Larry, we know that you are our only hope when all else seems hopeless. And I pray, Father God, we ask for your healing touch and we ask for peace in his body. Father God, for those who are sick that maybe have minor things or they're just inconveniences, God, we know that you see us and we know that you care about those things because you desire for us to live a life that is able to be whole and life-giving to others. And we can't do that when we're feeling so broken ourselves. God, for those who are struggling financially, who need a job or need provision, God, I just pray that you would pour that out. God, I pray that you would just let people see and know that you are with them. God, for those who are just struggling with other things, I just pray, God, that you would bring peace to those who are lonely. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring comfort to those who are feeling sad, afraid. And God, for those whose marriages are struggling, I pray, God, that you would just do an incredible work. Begin working in hearts, shaping and molding. Lord, I pray for restoration. And we thank you and praise you for your grace in our lives. In your name, amen. Before you go, I want to invite Wes and Donna Bell up real quick. As you, those of you who have been a part of the church have seen Wes for six years up here. And I loved how he was referred to in his shorts and Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> He's one of those guys in the middle of winter, still in shorts. Wes and Donabelle are moving to Colorado, and um, jobs and life changes sometimes take us away. I'd say it's been a hard year. We've lost, uh, this is the seventh family from our church that has moved in the past year. And I keep saying, God, somebody has to be moving back to Seattle, to this area. But could you stop taking people away from us? But at the same time, I've always said, we're not here to build a dam and create a stagnant reservoir. We're here to be a river and that Holy Spirit's going to feed that river and feed life and hope. And I just want you guys to pray with me as we say goodbye um, to Wes and Donabelle. Life changes can be hard. They can be exciting. They can be new, but they can be really hard too. And for us, I think we're going to feel the pain of them being gone and they're going to get the excitement of seeing something new. So it hardly seems fair. But if you guys would just stretch out your hands and we can pray for them. Father God, I just thank you for Wes and Donabelle. I thank you for their faithfulness to our church. God, I thank you for their faithfulness to you. God, I pray that you would bless this marriage. I pray, Father God, that you would open new and exciting doors for them as a couple. I pray, Father God, that you would um, just grant Wes incredible favor 
in whatever you have next for him. God, I pray that you would help them find a church that feeds and brings life and brings hope, Lord, where he can continue to use his gifts to glorify you, where she can continue to bring light and hope to those around her, Father God. Father God, I just pray that you would just give them incredible insight and that this would be a season where their their marriage and, and their family just flourishes, Father God, and that they represent you well in all they do in your name. Amen. Amen. So, oh, thank you. So anyways, make sure you guys take a second and just thank Wes and Donna Bell and for being part of our church, for loving us well, and wish them well as they move forward. Otherwise, for the rest of you, I hope some of you will be out on Memorial Day. If you're outside enjoying the weather, know you're missed, know you're loved, and I hope to see you guys back soon. Have a great week.